Living with wildlife is not always easy. In fact, in many places around the world, conflict between humans and animals is a serious problem. Although Africa is 3 billion hectares in size, only a small part, 7%, is protected. This means that it has been set aside to keep the wild animals living there separate from humans. But these parks and reserves can't sustain the large herds of elephant, zebra and other migratory animals that live in Africa. As a result, the animals roam outside the protected areas, endangering the communities surrounding them who live on this land. So wild animals have to compete for living space with people, their livestock and crops. Hungry roaming animals such as elephants can cause a lot of damage to people's homes and farms and even destroy lives. Threatened in their own homes, people often kill, capture or injure the animals which can lead to certain species dying out altogether. In other continents like Europe and North America, this has already happened and both have lost a lot of their wildlife. That's why predators like the lion are so highly valued by visiting tourists who pay to come here and see them in their natural environment. So Africa has a very important role to play now in protecting the world's wildlife for the future. Animals also play an important role in the world's ecosystems as all species are linked to each other. By killing a lion, for example, the animals it would normally feed on increase dramatically, which disrupts nature's balance, damaging the environment both for animals and humans. Sympathizing with animals can be difficult when we're trying to look after our families, but animals have similar struggles too. Many care for their young in the same way we do, like chimpanzees, which are often hunted for bushmeat, another cause for conflict. We've always shared the world with animals and hope that future generations will do so too. In this film, we'll meet people who are finding ways of living peacefully with wildlife. The Mount Kenya National Park is home to a large population of over 2,000 elephants. Living next to the park are people from the district of Meru who have their homes and farms on the northeastern boundary of the forest. Conflict between humans and elephants has existed here for many years. It's caused by elephants trying to follow their traditional migratory routes out to the forest and coming across people on their way. Migration is the seasonal movement by elephants to find new feeding grounds. And when they move, the consequences can be devastating for people, as elephants eat or destroy crops in their path and can threaten lives. For years, local people tried their own methods of scaring the elephants away. But as Humphrey Muneni of the Bill Woodley Mount Kenya Trust explains, they didn't work very well. Community members used to, to beat uh, drums and uh, also light fires. And it's like an, uh, the animals are not uh, getting scared nowadays. Local farmer Agnes Rigiri describes how she used to try and scare the elephants. 
Life was so difficult for me in the past. Living next to the forest meant that I was in the path of the elephants, and so they would frequently destroy my farm. Elephants used to chase my neighbors, so they would scream to scare them away. But now I love the elephants because of the fence, and so I restrain my sons from using spears to kill them. While old methods failed, the construction of a two-strand electric fence in Meru made an immediate difference. Ecologically friendly, the fence is powered by the sun. Uh, a solar fence normally uses um, solar panels and that changes a battery and that the, the power from the battery, that is 12 volts, uh, gets into an energizer and uh, uh, the energizer boosts that 12 volts to around uh, 7,000 volts or 10,000 volts, depending on the length of the fence. And, uh, the energizer produces that power in pulse form. You know pulse? Like that. And uh, that is what gives the shock to the elephants. The fans uh, normally give a shock, just a shock that is going to, to, to scare the animal. Yeah, it doesn't kill and doesn't harm in any way. As field coordinator for the trust, Humphrey is responsible for working with the community and teaching them how to maintain the fence. He has seen people's attitudes towards elephants change dramatically. People used to see the elephants as enemies that need to be eliminated, need to be kept away from them. Yeah, but uh, now that we have the fence, the elephants are now be, have now become friends. The, 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 their attitude has generally changed because the elephants are now, they have not, they have stopped becoming a nuisance to them. Agnes too has seen the difference the fence has made. I have seen a big difference in my life because now I can sleep well at night. Even my crops, like the ones you can see, are doing well. I'm having a good harvest together with my neighbors. But it's not just attitudes to elephants that have changed. People now view the forest differently too. They now see it as part of their responsibility to maintain and manage it for the future. Forest officer Dominic Wambua explains how a new government bill to encourage people to manage the forest together will have a meaningful impact here. Formerly, the, the, the people's perception about forests was that the forest belongs to the government. It's government property. Every time a community member wanted to get anything from the forest, firewood, grass, there to go to the forester, who would make a decision as to whether you're going to get it or not. So they were kind of sidelined and they felt that the forest estate was not their own, it belonged to somebody else, and therefore their involvement was not very directly. This time around, we expect them to be directly involved in decision making and the implementation of those decisions. No longer threatened by raiding elephants, farmers have been able to work together to establish tree nurseries where they sell the plants to earn an extra income. Erecting an elephant solar fence has made a huge difference to people in Meru. Reducing conflict in this way is something that other people can do too.
For many years, humans and elephants shared the same habitat, living together in relative peace. But recently, the situation has changed, and lives on both sides have been lost. Here in Zambia, the problem is particularly acute. William Lubinda from the Elephant Pepper Development Trust explains. Due to the population of human beings which have skyrocketed and there's a too much land clearing, uh, a lot of people are making uh, many settlements uh, whereby they are even going to the extent of uh, inhabiting the areas where elephants used to feed and uh, on the other side elephants also multiplying so you find that uh, the land for elephants where they used to feed uh, adequately becomes limited or becomes smaller so they even the elephants will even take advantage of going to attack the, the farmers or the inhabitants where people are, are staying so we have to find ways of how we can um, live side by side, not maybe destroying each other. So those are the things which you have to take into consideration. With both populations growing rapidly, people and elephants are now fighting for the same land. Fearing for their lives and their livelihoods, people often kill or maim the elephants to stop their crops being eaten or trampled on by roaming herds searching for food. A shooting is not a a permanent solution of uh, chasing elephants from or deterring elephants from destroying uh, human life and their crops. So it's just a temporal thing. So killing isn't the solution. The trust has invented a new strategy that doesn't harm the elephants, and it's surprisingly simple. Chili pepper or pepper uh, is a very good stuff to deter elephants because it does not cause a a long-term damage is just a temporal thing which is very uh, poisonous. In Chile there is a chemical called capsaicin. Uh, it's the one which makes the chili to be very hot at the same time uh, making it uh, have a, a smell which is very strong. Elephants are more sensitive animals. The sense of smell and taste is a hundred times than of ours, human beings. The effect on, the, uh, on, on in elephants, the chilies, is very, very uh, high. By cultivating chili peppers, the trust introduced local farmers to a valuable extra income, as well as to various ways of protecting themselves from elephants. These include chili briquettes, where chilies are mixed with animal dung and burned to produce smoke. Buffer crops, where chilies are planted around the field as an added deterrent. And smearing existing fences with chili oil so that elephants are put off by the scent and run away. Malamo and Esnat Nyambe are farmers who have tried these techniques on their farm and have already seen the benefits. Yes, I mean, to begin with, we were doubting Thomas's. We didn't know that they would work. But when we had an attack and we chased these animals, we had only a small chili uh, fence which we had. Now, instead of going in that direction where the chili fence was, they chose to go back through the same route they, they came from and it surprised us because there were quite many. I think there were about 24. So instead of spreading around to run into all these directions, but they just used the same route where they came from and they avoided the chill fence which we, we put up. So we thought, no, this thing must be effective. It is possible for humans and elephants to coexist. By sharing initiatives like this chili pepper project, farmers in Africa can find peaceful solutions to living alongside elephants.
The Lycipia Predator Project is based at the Impala Research Center in Kenya. The main aim of the project is to improve relationships between humans and wild animals by helping to prevent predators from killing livestock. Working closely with the local Maasai communities, project leader Stephen Ikwanga helps people strengthen their traditional animal enclosures, known as bomas, against dangerous predators like lions and hyenas. My involvement is just to improve their old method they have been using. There's nothing new I'm coming with. The only new thing I'm coming with um, that we see is uh, we came with the idea of buying chain leak and trying to put uh, around their bomber so that it can stop high enough from trying to go inside the bomber. But this is their method, it's not our method as a project, but we are just trying to remind them if we make it nicely and good, then it will be okay. The number of predators in Laikipia was rapidly reducing before the project began. People were taking matters into their own hands and killing the predators that attacked their livestock. People have been really, really poisoning predators. And this is one of our feelings that, you know, we need to advise them another way of improving the predation during the day and the predation during the night. The people knew that indiscriminate poisoning was not a long-term solution. They needed to re-evaluate their methods to ensure the survival of their livestock. Here is where animal, uh, like a gate, where I go in the bomber and come out in the morning. Um, so this bomber was first designed with don bush, and it's, this is like about one, one and a half meter long with don bush, um, which was very bad before with hyena. The hyena were going in and taking shots, and about six animals were killed here. Their thornbush boma, although designed to prevent hyenas from attacking goats, wasn't as effective as it could be. However, by simply raising the height of the fence and ensuring that the thorns from the branches were facing outwards, the hyenas could no longer reach the livestock. The boma is further reinforced by a chain-link fence. The door to the boma is a flattened metal drum. The main advantage of this is that it's stronger than the traditional wooden gate, so predators can't get through to the livestock. You can see there's little shots there. Um, so the other thing um, you look here around is like the half houses around the, the goat bomber. The many, the number of people are, it's also better the, I mean the, the, the predators because if the lion comes and you know, there's noise in this house, there's noise in that house, you know, then they get scared. They say, no, <laughs> there's no way to go through here because there are many people. It's helping too. So, and that's their own way of traditional way. The project has benefited everyone. The predator population remains healthy and people are able to live alongside wild animals in peace. Chief Njori explains how the improved boma has changed his life. In the past, we used to have sleepless nights inside our bomas because of predators. We used to use our spears to protect the animals. But when the chain link fence was introduced to strengthen our boma, things became better and we would recommend others to use this fence too. Now, when predators come back and see the fence, they go around the boma, so I don't mind. I can sleep much better now knowing that my livestock is safe. With constructive advice from the Laikipia Predator Project, this community is now far safer from predator attack and with fewer goats being killed, is more prosperous too. I think it has improved in terms of their livestock. 
um, when we first we were interviewing the community, how many goats can you lose in a year? You know, it was about 60, 50. But now, uh, improved bomber like this one, those animals, 60, they're not taken. And so, those 60 animals, this person can sell, uh, you know, keep money for other uses. In some certain years that we see this is really working, you know, this will interest to all Africa and, you know, will be one of the foundations we have achieved in the project. <laughs> At Tonyo Primary School in Tanzania, the pupils belong to an environmental club called Roots and Shoots, which is part of the Jane Goodall Institute Youth Network. The children are working with local farmers to teach them how to coexist with a troop of baboons that live on Tonyo Hill near the school. Tonyo Hill is in the Mara region of northern Tanzania. As this is a poor region of the country, many people depend on the land to grow their own food. In the past, many people in the Tonyo community regarded the baboons as pests. The baboons would frequently raid local farmers' crops, eating the cassava, potatoes and bananas. They would also come into people's homes to drink their water. Not only were crops damaged, but the water supply was becoming polluted too. The farmers' livelihoods hung in the balance, as farmer James Otieno Ogutu explains. The baboons were just running around recklessly, looking for food. As a result, there were confrontations with people here who wanted to hurt them. Like James, farmers were angry and wanted to kill the baboons. They would set traps for them and try to scare them away by burning the vegetation on the hill where the baboons lived. From the beginning, we were burning because we thought that the plants growing on the hill were good for the baboons, so we didn't want them to have food. But after understanding that burning encouraged them to come back down to the farms, we stopped. We then tried hunting them, but that didn't work either. But burning the hill only made the problem worse. As the baboons' natural habitat had been destroyed, they kept returning to the farms to find food to eat. And so the problem went on. Local environmentalist Deus Cosmos wanted to work with the pupils to address the conflict between the farmers and the baboons. Many of the pupils' parents were farmers in the area, and Deus saw a way of educating the whole community. The problem that I found here, I mean, the, first of all, the the community villages were just coming on and destroying the natural habitat. So then the baboons were forcing also to, to go down there to their farmers, I mean to their farmers' fields, to destroy their crops because they didn't have enough time, I mean enough food and at this place. So that's why the, the baboons also they were forced 
to go down there and then destroying the, I mean the, I mean the clubs for the farmers. <laughs> when they observed the baboons, Deus and the children realized that one way of keeping the baboons on the hill was to increase their natural food supply. Our aim was just to come up to the island and find the seeds that will help to, to provide some food for the baboons. So we tried to come up and then we tried to find some kind of species that the baboons are interested in eating and then we, tried, we, we started to plant them. With the planting of Mugusu and Saluji fruit trees on the hill, the baboons no longer had to leave the hill to find food. Back at school, the Roots and Shoots Club has set up a tree nursery. Pupils bring water from home for new tree seedlings, which, when fully grown, will also be planted on the hill. More food for the baboons. <laughs> Since the project started, most farmers have stopped burning the hill. The trees and grasses are growing back and the hill is green again. Now the baboons rarely raid the farmers' crops. They also don't drink the farmers' water anymore, since the community set aside a spring for them. So the conflict between farmers and baboons has now been resolved. The children are very proud of their work and the part they have played in helping the community and conserving their local environment and wildlife. I think that people should stop killing the baboons and learn to live with them and protect them. We shouldn't kill them. I don't know what else I can say. Just that we need to protect them. The people of the community have been brought together and have learned from their children. I'm very happy about this project because when I used to see how the animals were persecuted and the way the hills were set on fire, I wasn't happy. But because of this program, the baboons are in a good state. I hope that we can continue to live with them in peace. That's what we want to do. Also, I've realized that the baboons are part of our traditional wealth valuable to our area and so we want future generations to see them too. Ever since humans first evolved, non-domestic African wildlife has been hunted for food and is called bushmeat. It was widely seen as a natural resource, free for people to take. Even today, bushmeat continues to play an important role in the lives of many people by providing a valuable source of protein. The animals that are hunted include non-primates like warthogs 
and primates like chimpanzees. In the past, hunting bushmeat was sustainable because both human and animal populations were balanced. But with the rapid increase in human populations and the urban demand for bushmeat, hunting has become unsustainable, and so governments have outlawed it, calling it poaching. Unfortunately, the introduction of guns has made poaching easier, and the result is that too many animals are being killed. People sell the meat and other animal parts to earn money. Meat is normally sold to a local market, whereas items like tusks and horns are sold overseas to meet the demand from the black market, which puts additional pressure on people to poach. Like poaching, trading ivory is illegal in most countries. But trading bushmeat and animal products is causing the serious decline of wildlife across Africa. The impact on the environment is devastating. The natural habitats where animals once lived, including forests and savannas, are slowly disappearing. What people often don't realize is the link that animals have with trees and plants affects the way we live. Without animals, the plants stop growing as their fruits aren't eaten and their seeds aren't dispersed properly. If the wildlife isn't preserved, then the tourism trade will be affected, which would lead to thousands of job losses. Realizing the scale of the problem, several initiatives have been designed in different countries to try and preserve wildlife and find alternatives to poaching. One such project is the Komoko Center in Zambia. Central to the project is the community-owned business called the Community Markets for Conservation and Rural Livelihoods. Community members are able to sell their fruit, grain and vegetables at a high price as well as receive advice and training on how to farm their land in a way that helps conserve their area's wildlife. Many of the farmers here used to be poachers. Through support from the Komoko Center, they were encouraged to give up poaching and take up new productive methods of farming. Charles Ngoma of Ikraf believes that the main reason people hunted was for food. Uh, members of the communities are facing a very, very big problem. In fact, uh, for us to come up with this program, uh, we had to conduct a baseline survey, which the result shows that the, uh, the main route for uh, poaching and uh, disturbance of wildlife was uh, food shortages and the lack of income. The only way forward for them to uh, have food was to do poaching, then from there at the same time cut the trees, use them for charcoal and, and, and so forth. Former poacher Standwell Chiwa explains why he was convinced to give up hunting and hand in his weapon. Oh, I was forced to be a, a hunter just because of hunger. I had, I had no food, and the only source of having food was killing animals and setting them. My life was in, in question, uh, in risk, I can say, because I was risking my life. Somebody can kill me in the bush, and uh, sometimes I can be arrested. So this is where I think my life has changed. I found that the uh, these days, I'm staying peacefully. With help from Komako, Stanwell has learned how to maintain his vegetable garden. He now passes on this valuable knowledge to his friends. That's the thing I'm doing. Teaching the, the locals, my fellow local men, how to do conservation farming. 
Charles explains how the community trading center has helped transform people's lives. People are able to have food because of the new methods of farming. People are able to have income because whatever they have or whatever they produce, the surplus they are able to sell it to uh, the community trading center. Farming is one way in which people can earn a living instead of poaching, as well as having a supply of food. Other ways include peanut butter making, chicken farming, fish farming, and beekeeping. The Komako Center has had a big impact on this Zambian community. People have stable incomes, have acquired new skills, and the wildlife is able to thrive again. Charles hopes that their success can be a role model for others in Africa who want to live alongside their wildlife. It's difficult for a farmer to do it alone, to form something like a, a trading center. But if they come up together, say form a group, and these are what we call producer groups, if they can form that, it's very easy for them to share knowledge such that they can easily come up with a community trading center. Standwell has his own advice too. It's very important to be to protect the wild animals. First thing why we should protect our wildlife, uh, wild animals, is that tourists bring a lot of money. They come to see our animals and they, they bring money to us. Two, our children, they didn't know what buffalo is. So that's very important to keep wildlife. Everything should be treated as we treat ourselves, yes. The Ilingwezi community in northern Kenya have come up with an inspirational way of living with the wildlife on their land. James Munyugi of the Northern Rangelands Trust outlines the reasons why the project began. About 70% uh, of all the Kenya wildlife is outside protected areas. And the meaning of the literary meaning of that is that 70% of all the wildlife problems is outside parks and reserves. And that, of course, poses a lot of threat to human life and, and survival of man. And I think uh, this program is all geared towards reverting that, in ensuring the wildlife problem is turned into an opportunity so people can survive through wildlife-based enterprises. In the Ma language, il means people, and Ngwezi means wildlife. And this defines what the community project is about. Here, the Maasai have learned how to conserve wildlife and make a living. But in the past, this area was prone to aggressive poaching. The few remaining animals fled for their safety, leaving virtually no wildlife in the area. The Maasai were also affected. Traditionally cattle herders, life was becoming more difficult for them due to cattle rustling. So they decided to work together as a community to manage their land in a way which would protect both themselves and the wildlife. They employed a security team of trained Maasai game guards from the area and installed a radio communication network. The result was that they were able to protect themselves from poachers and rustlers 
while the animals felt safe enough to return to the area. You know, in the beginning, the elders of Ilinguesi used to spend their nights on top of hills to watch over cattle rustlers and bandits who might hate any time. But today, since they employ security, elders have time to, to, to sleep in the house. You know, they have been able to employ a security network. They have a radio communication with the Lewa and, and the police and Kenya Life Service and the other relevant bodies. And, and I think that has been success. Realizing that the presence of wildlife would attract tourists, the community built a lodge. Owned and managed by the Ilinguesi people, it is Kenya's first eco-lodge. Tourists from all over the world come here to see the wildlife and natural beauty of the land and learn about the Maasai culture. The naturally built bandas, or cottages, provide panoramic views of the now thriving habitat, as well as allowing tourists to enjoy the benefits of seeing animals up close. The money that tourists pay to stay at the lodge has enabled the Ilinguesi community of over 400 families to do many things. A lot of this money, of course, go into supporting children for, to go to school and paying bursaries and, uh, and possibly supporting health care, maybe paying hospital bills for mothers who are sick or who have a problem. And I think that, that has been seen like a lot of success. Profits from the lodge pay for the further education of the Maasai's children, something that had previously not been possible. James Ole Kinyaga of the Ilinguesi community explains. I'll say that uh, in the old days, actually, if the kids pass the exams, they don't really get to go to the university or uh, high school high schools because of the, uh, you know, they're really expensive. But now it's a guaranteed that after your school, you, you get a really big backup from Ilinguesi because money is there, guaranteed, to take you all the way to where you, 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 you'll reach with your education without any problem. Like now, our general manager is a kid from this area. He grew up in this area, he went to school in this area. And then uh, after his high school, he went to Nairobi for a university. And now